0: Hello, and welcome to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. We believe all women lawyers deserve to be wealthy women lawyers. Our mission is to provide thought-provoking, powerful, and practical information to help you in creating your own sustainable, wealth-generating law firm without overwork or overwhelm so you can live your best life. I'm your host, Davina Frederick, and I'm so excited for you to be our guest today. So let's get started. Hi, and welcome to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. I'm your host, Davina Frederick. And I am here today with Kaylee Giacome, did I say that right? Um, You did. Great, thank you. Who is the founder of the Lifestyle Law Firm? And I'm super excited to talk with her because what Kaylee's done is really very special. And I know a lot of you will benefit from hearing about it. She wanted to create a law firm on her own terms because her primary focus right now, at this time in her life, is to be the mom of her two kids. And, but she also wanted to have a successful business that provided a good, healthy income for her family, and she has done that, and now she mentors other lawyers as well as running her successful IP business, IP law firm, and being a mom to her kids primarily. Um, she now mentors other attorneys, so I'm super excited to have you here, Kaylee. Welcome.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Davina.
0: Great, great. All right, so why don't you start out by just telling us, I'd like to go way back. To your, your first idea of being a lawyer, where that came from. I know some attorneys just know from a very early age that that's what they want to do. And then others of us kind of grow into that path and it comes to us by, in other ways. How about you? What did, what inspired you to be an attorney? Something you always knew you wanted to do?
1: Yeah, that's a, a great place to start because um it didn't just inform my choice to become a lawyer, but even the business that I have today. So I was raised by a lawyer mom, but she did things in a slightly different order than I did. So my mom went to law school. Um, She started when I was in preschool, and then she started working when I was in elementary school. So I grew up with a lawyer mom, but I also had the experience of when I was a baby and when I was little, having my mom at home with me. And so when I looked at my own childhood and then also, you know, the example of my mom, I think I did know from an early age that I wanted to be a lawyer and people would tell me, you know, you you would be a really good lawyer. Um, and then I also felt like it was something that, you can apply the law to any passion you have. So if you're passionate about saving the whales, you can go be an environmental lawyer. If you are, um, if you love business, you can work in IP or business law contracts. So you can really apply it to a lot of different interests. that's at least what I thought when I was starting out. And then I found that actually what happens is you you work in whatever job you get. Um, But just going back to that experience of growing up and having my mom at home with me when I was little, to me, that is what I wanted motherhood to look like for me. So even selfishly, I wanted that experience. Um, So I wanted the experience of, you know, being able to go to the library um, in the morning on a Tuesday um, and just having that, having that concentrated time with them. So, but as, you know, as many people do, I I didn't necessarily have this grand scheme of how my life was going to go. So I went to law school and started practicing um, before I had a child. And then when I did have my daughter, I thought, Wow, what am I going to do? Did I, by choosing to go this route, by choosing to become an attorney, did I opt out of this vision of motherhood that I wanted? So um, that was quite quite a long journey. Um, to bring it back a bit, though, before I went to law school, I was actually um, I studied for the LSAT and I took the LSAT in China. My husband, then boyfriend, and I were living there, and um, so I would go to Chinese class in the morning. And it was a very international community. I think I was one of two students from the U.S. and all of my other classmates were from Pakistan and Korea and, and Senegal and Nigeria. And so I'd go to Chinese class and then I would go study for the LSAT at this little French bakery in Changchun, China. It's up in this province of China that borders North Korea and Russia. It was absolutely freezing there. Um, but A very interesting experience. And then in the evening, I would go teach English um, to students that ranged from my youngest students were three all the way to 17 um, seniors in high school. Mm So a very eclectic mix there. Um, So while I was doing that, I was studying for the LSAT um, and I then took the LSAT in Shanghai. That was another unique experience doing that. And then I came back to the United States to go to law school. I came back to New Jersey, where I'm from originally, and um, left my then fiance back in China. So I tell that story uh, because it really began the foundation of doing things differently when it came to my legal career. I, you know, even my experience of taking the LSAT was unusual, and I carried that through all throughout law school. So my first year, around the time that everyone is starting to look at internships, you know, January, February, applying for internships for the summer, really my focus was how can I get back to Asia? I want to spend time with my fiance who's still living over there. I also wasn't done adventuring. I wasn't um, satisfied with the idea that I started law school. So now I'm going down this path and I'm going to be doing my summer internships in New Jersey and New York and then, you know, inevitably get a job there. And my life is decided for me now. Um, so I started looking at internships in Asia to get closer to him and also to do something that was a little more fun. And one night, I'm applying to all these internships in um, China, law firms there, some NGOs, and then also different U.S. agencies at the U.S. Embassy there. And somehow, one thing led to another, and I I got derailed from my China applications and ended up applying to an internship at the U.S. Embassy in Bangkok in Thailand, which checked the box of adventure, but not necessarily getting back to my fiancé, but... So um, I must have applied for a lot of internships that evening because the next day I wake up and I have an email from the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office's IP adage to Southeast Asia. And I hadn't I had no memory of applying to that. I didn't think, I I hadn't even heard that there was an IP adage. Um, And what had happened was I had applied to the U.S. Commercial Service, which is an agency under Department of Commerce that helps U.S. companies export their goods um, across the world. And so I had applied to that and they forwarded my resume to their IP Adige, who asked if I was available to talk with him um, that day. And I said, of course, sure. So I jumped on a call and he told me they didn't have an internship program, but he was forwarded my resume and he's been advocating for one. And would I like to come to Bangkok that summer and be his first intern, actually be the first intern for the USPTO's um, IP Adige program, um, so I said, of course. And that experience was um, going to a lot of UN conferences and WIPO conferences and helping him prepare these presentations on USIP law. Um, so that was that was a great experience. And then that led to that really, I think, you know, made a light bulb go off that oh, a legal career can look so different. I had no idea that his job mm-hmm. existed. And it also set the bar very high for my summer <laughs> internships. So I kind of went through this process every January and, and um, February thinking, okay, is it, am I back to New Jersey now? Like, is is <laughs> am I done adventuring? Oh my and God, somehow I think... Yes, yes. Somehow I I, um, managed to keep that going all all summers of law school. So I went back to an international IP firm um, in Bangkok and interned there. And um, finally, when I graduated, um, I had an internship during the school year um, at, the ho- at Homeland Security in New York. So I was offered a job um, through that internship. And when I graduated, I became a federal prosecutor for Department of Homeland Security. So fast forward, um, I still didn't have any children. I moved to the attorney general's office. And then I found myself pregnant with my first child. And I knew that just for me, I didn't want the routine of dropping her off at daycare in the morning, you know, and picking her up at six, six or seven in the, in the evening. And even though I was a government lawyer and that's kind of hailed as, you know, the most flexible job in the legal industry, it wasn't, it wasn't good enough for me. That's not what I wanted for myself. So when I um, left my job at the AG's office, I intended to spend at least her first year at home with her. And at that time, I didn't know that what I was doing, what you're doing was possible. I didn't know it was an option. So I really thought I had a a limited amount of time with her before I would either go back to the AG's office or figure something out. Um, And I just assumed that whenever, you know, subsequent children came that I wouldn't have the luxury of having the same experience with them as I had with her. Um, And it was actually what changed this for me and really was another light bulb moment um, was the platform Upwork, which I'm sure you're familiar with. I was researching. I just got on Google and I was like, what can I do that's part time from home that's flexible? And so I'm Googling part time lawyer jobs, you know, work from home remote. And there really was nothing. I mean, that in 2017, which, you know, isn't the Stone Age, but it was a long time ago when you're talking about the pandemic has changed
0: everything i mean our whole culture has changed in the last few years Absolutely. with the pandemic so yeah 2017 wasn't it was pre-pandemic so it was a whole different world back then you know this wasn't Absolutely. that long time you know
1: so no you, you
0: google lawyer jobs and then what happened
1: yeah and um I didn't find anything. I didn't find anything that was really meeting the bill. and somehow i I found my way over to upwork and um, I just started writing legal blogs for other law firms. and this wasn't, you know, this wasn't a career plan. It was just something I was doing then. you know my my baby wasn't even crawling, and it was something um, that I could do to earn some extra money and you know keep my brain active. and I thought it was wonderful. Um, but, then it introduced me to this whole world of online work, and I wasn't really, you know, dialed into the online business world or, you know, all of these service-based businesses that were popping up online. Um, but that was the introduction, and so I, rather than looking at what other lawyers were doing, because most of the lawyers that I knew were miserable, I started looking at what other service providers were doing and asking the question. Can I apply that to the law? So um, one of the, the first examples that sticks out in my mind is there was a couple, a husband and wife that were both CPAs, and they spent like six months of the year in Bali and they, you know, they would file tax returns and this was their life. And to me, I thought, wow, I really chose the wrong career. I should have become a CPA <laughs> and it was Gosh. an evolution.
0: <laughs> Every CPA <laughs> so- out there is going no, no, you should not have become a CPA. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah,
1: I can imagine my friends who are, who I work with that are CPAs. You know, we realize that we are the the boring, the boring what you need in your business professionals <laughs> in this mm-hmm. world. But mm-hmm. um, so yeah, and I. But it started. It made me ask those questions of Is this possible? What would it look like? And as you know, at that time there were people who had virtual law firms, but I think in some ways it was people felt like they needed to keep it secret. You know, I would try to search for people who were practicing law in this model, which by that, I mean, more flexible, more part-time, remote, virtual, maybe you don't have a brick and mortar, you have systems of automation. And there weren't a lot of people that were, you know, holding it out as an option, presenting it. This is what I do. Um, Rachel Rogers, you know, if you're familiar with her, she had some articles about that, um, and you know, there were other people, but it was really, I would come to someone's website and I would kind of just discern that I, I thought they were a virtual firm and look at what they were doing on social media, um, and look at their website and things like that. But it wasn't talked about as much, and there certainly weren't as many virtual law firms. Um, so I, uh, you know, as I mentioned, I had that background in IP, And around that time, I met a trademark attorney in the city I was living in, in St. Louis. Um, And he also was not necessarily holding out um, that he had a virtual law firm. I just kind of was guessing that he did based on on my stocking, really, of his business. And I asked him to meet me for coffee. And, um, and, you know, uh, yeah, he did have a virtual firm and he didn't have a brick and mortar and he worked from home and he did... Um, have you know a Regis mailing address or something like that, and then it was my third light bulb moment of this is I have a background in this. I didn't have a background in practicing, of course. It was an internship, was which is also always different. But this was something that I could do virtually that was transactional. Um, and you can take clients nationwide because you're as long as someone is registering their trademark with the USPTO, you can represent them. So a lot of light bulb moments there. And then I I got to the business of starting to set up my firm and starting to you know set up all those different pieces. And at that time there was there wasn't a a coach or a program or anything that I found that was inviting me, you know, to hold my hand and walk down this road of me, road with me. I was really figuring it out as I went along. And what I did, again, was look at the model of other service providers, not necessarily other lawyers. Um, If you're familiar with Dave Ramsey, the radio show host, he has, yeah, yeah, he has a quote, something to the effect of, um, you know, don't take Financial advice from your broke friends, um, just like you wouldn't take, you know, relationship advice from your single miserable friends or, or whatever it is. Um, and I realized, well, I shouldn't be looking at the example of the traditional law firm and the way maybe that they have their website set up or maybe the way they do their marketing. Um, if I do that, I'm going to get similar results. You're going to get similar results to the people that you that you look up to, that you model your business. Um, and so I was looking at service providers like coaches, um, even website designers, um, graphic designers, online business managers, all these different service providers that were doing business on the, on the in the online world, leveraging social media to market, um, and then really started putting the pieces together by looking at the results of uh, people whose lives, you know, I wanted... I wanted the same kind of flexibility that they had to be at home with my kids, to travel um, and to be my own boss and really design something that was different than what I saw elsewhere in the legal industry.
0: Well, it's interesting as I'm listening to you tell this story, what's so interesting is that how much um, we've had a similar experience in that I had the brick and mortar law firm um, and but then it wasn't working for me. And I had several things happen that just said, this is not working for me. Even though I don't have children, it wasn't for the purpose of, you know, I didn't leave it for the purpose of being home with kids. I just had some other things that um, really caused me to look at it more closely and say, this lifestyle is not for me. And I started my own virtual firm in 2013 and had it from 2013, no, I'm sorry, 2011 and had it from 2011 to 2017. And, but. But virtual is very different. Then. Virtual was phone, email. That was how you ran a virtual firm. You didn't run, a, you know, we didn't have the tools. People weren't comfortable video conferencing, although there, there were those tools out there. They were really more for a corporate world and environment, people in work environments doing uh, legal services that way was really unique and new. And in fact, I had somebody leave me a review on uh, one of the attorney sites. I won't name which one, but one of the attorney directories, and I got a four star instead of a five star because he said he was great, everything was wonderful, except he never met me in person. And he was the only person that did that. Everybody else gave five star reviews, but it was so new that people weren't sure how to feel about it, um, right? Because you, you know, and we didn't have the face to face model like we have today. So I could see. You know, it was the same kind for me. I started looking around at other. I got, I got coaches. I hired coaches, and that's how I got exposed to the coaching world, and sort of saw this model out there. Here's a different sort of model out there that can work, and that's where you started seeing. Uh, I think a lot of people um, nowadays having virtual firms. It's, it's you know, everybody goes, oh well, of course. Of course it's going to set it up, but it really wasn't that long ago where that just wasn't a thing. And anytime you talked about, I have a virtual firm, you would have naysayers, you know, say, well, that'll never work. I had an attorney say to me, that'll never work. Your clients won't like that because he wanted me to rent very expensive space in his office building. (laughs) And and I was like, well, I'm going to give it a try. Uh, So it's very interesting that you started out that way. Now, your and I think IP, I love your whole China story and Bangkok, how wonderful that you had those opportunities. And I just think to myself, what courage it took to sort of just, you know, yeah, I'm going to go to a whole other country and work there <laughs> and uh, live there, you know, how it's an adventure, but it's also got to be a little bit intimidating, um, you know, doing that. What, how How did you, did you have experience that? Those feelings or? Oh,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. I um, absolutely. And, you know, I think it really prepared me for a lot of the challenges of entrepreneurship because you're flexing that muscle of doing something that's scary and walking into the unknown. Um, so, the first time that I, well, I had been abroad before, but really went far, far away from home and lived abroad was when I was in college. I did a semester in China. And so that was that was before the period of time I was discussing um, earlier. Yeah. And it was, Mm. you know, the first time I got on a plane and went to China, I felt like I was going to another planet Um, and it wasn't as much of another planet once, once I landed as I anticipated, but Absolutely. And my first um, summer in in Thailand, when I got to the law firm in subsequent summers, they put us up in a really nice service department. But at the U.S. Embassy, you were responsible for your own housing and they didn't even provide suggestions. So I was I didn't I didn't know anyone in Thailand um, and I had like some ideas of service departments that might work. And when I say service, they're all kind of service departments in Thailand. So, <laughs> um, and I kind of had some addresses and ideas together, but when I got on the plane, I just had a hotel room booked. And then my plan for that first weekend was just to go around the city, looking at these blo- uh, sorry, looking at these apartments, um, by myself. And so that was, um, yeah, that was scary, I would say.
0: <laughs> yeah, I imagine. Because, you know, we, here you, you move away and you do that, at least you know, everybody speaks the same language. And, you know, there's a, there are some cultural differences too, that you have to be aware of when you do something like that. So I imagine it was just a fascinating time for your life and your education. So let's move forward to your IP firm, and talk about that. So you decided to kind of go back to the, the IP because you had spent time as an intern helping to teach it and all of that. Um, What, so what did you do to launch your law firm business, your virtual law firm? What are some of the things that you did to, to make it a virtual firm?
1: Yeah. You know, if I could go back, I would implement so many of the things that I've learned uh, along the years early on, but in the beginning, you know, I set up, um, you know, the, the legal and financial end of my business and um, got my malpractice insurance and the bank accounts and whatnot. And then I, um, built, I built my own website, which, <laughs> which I've since evolved from. But I just started a website on Wix. And if you know nothing about website development and you have absolutely no budget to invest in someone else designing your website, which would be like the first, second and third choice would be to have somebody else who knows what they're doing do it. I would say that Wix is the most user-friendly platform that I've seen. Um, On the other end, it does definitely result in a very DIY feel, um, which is not ideal. But really, the beginnings of my firm were very bootstrapped. It was very DIY. So there I was with my Wix website, and I started... Um, Joining entrepreneur groups in Facebook groups, connecting with people on Instagram, um, reaching out to people's podcasts and things like that, and then slowly, you know, building relationships and getting my name out there. And one thing that I did, which has really, um, I think, made my business so much more enjoyable for me, but I joined the kind of entrepreneur groups that I would want to be a member of and what happened was, my clients tend to be a lot of women. They tend to be, um, you know, solopreneurs or small teams that they're building their business. And usually, when I get on a discovery call with someone, I end, you know, with a client and a friend. It's it's a um, enjoyable conversation. We have a lot in common, and. Um, they also like to do business in a similar way to how I like to do business. So I don't have a phone number published on my website. I do have a phone number (laughs) in my signature line, but I don't have a phone answering service. And a lot of the entrepreneurs that I work with, um, they don't either, you know, it's it's uh you can contact me by my inquiry form, send me an email, and there's no expectation of I'm going to be able to reach you at a random time, you know, between nine to five. Um, we'll set up an appointment and we'll speak, you know, when we plan to speak. So that's really been wonderful because, like I said, the the. Um, clients that I work with, I really enjoy those relationships. And they are usually building businesses that are really interesting to me that I can also relate to. And I get to be a small part of that.
0: Yeah. And do you have, do you find that most of your clients are um, mothers of young children as well? Um or do you have kind of a mix or or it's a mix.
1: Yeah, it's a mix. Um there are there are mothers and um and non-mothers, but I would say probably 95% of my clients are women. Um, of course, I don't discriminate, that just tends to be who, you know, who I'm connected with through referrals, through the groups that I'm participating in. Um, and so so yeah, but you know, there's just so much. As women, whether you have children or not, we juggle so many balls. And um, I think that there's just unique difficulties that come with being a female business owner and just the way that you see the world and relate to the world, um, that it really, you know, lends for a, a deeper relationship with your clients um, than if I was, you know, than if I was at some big law firm doing trademark work with whatever business came along
0: you have, what do you find to be sort of the biggest challenge for you in sort of balancing this, um, stay at, stay at home, mom, you know, being, being present with your kids and work. And do you find, uh, I'm assuming you work out of your house. Do you find any sort of, um, challenges with regard to overlapping, you know, uh, obligations and things like that. Like, you know, kids have certain nap times and certain eating times. They have routines you want to keep them in. Do, do you ever sort of run up against that in terms of servicing your clients?
1: Yeah. Uh, yes. And no, I would say, um, because of the model I've built and that's why it's so important to me, um, to not have you know, a phone number that people can reach at any times because I need to, know that when I'm here, when I'm in front of my computer, when I had an appointment to speak with someone, you know, then I'm speaking to them. And also in my practice area, there generally aren't emergencies. Oh, there aren't 24 hour emergencies. You know, so if I get an right. email on a Monday evening and my next workday is Wednesday morning, they I had have an auto reply, but they can wait until Wednesday morning generally.
0: Yeah, I love and, that. I love that. Yeah. So I'm always telling my clients that that you know, this idea. I mean, how many true emergencies are there? And and even even in this, even in practice areas where there are urgent needs, or you know uh, what clients think are an emergency or whatever, generally you still have to deal with a court and filing things. You know, it's not like a, a, a true emergency like EMTs are having to deal with. You know. Um, And so oftentimes we put that pressure on ourselves to be uber responsive and uh, uh, email is a big, is a, you know, people getting up and first thing in the morning they do is check their emails. And I'm like, the minute you do that, you're letting other people hijack your priorities. So doing that, I imagine you have some really strong time blocking mechanisms for your, for yourself.
1: I do. And I just color coded it recently, which has made it very <laughs> exciting <laughs> better to look at. But yes, there are a couple of things I do. So one thing, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the um, app Voxer. It's kind of a walkie talkie app. So I um, use Voxer a lot with my assistant. So she'll help me, you know, triage and organize emails. And she'll send me a message because for, for whatever reason, I've learned that the the time and mental energy that it would take me to read an email um, and then you know email her back can you respond saying this or coordinate it's way more streamlined for her to send me a message and say hey Susie needs X Y and Z and for me to say can you please respond to Susie that you know A B and C and that has been really liberating. It's a small thing, um, but it's just really helped me so much because what would happen is, like you said, the overlap. So maybe um, it's a period of time where I didn't block out work time, but I'm with my kids and we are, you know, I'm picking them up from something and I'm in the car and I look at my email and I see something, but I can't respond to it, you know, texting on my phone right now, it's not the right time, so I'll start and come back to it. And it just adds to the mental load of here's another thing on my to-do list. Here's another thing on my to-do list. Um, and having her help just in that small way has been so liberating because that's a way where my, le- my personal life and business life do inevitably cross over. but it makes it it makes the overlap a lot easier. Um, and way more aligned uh, with what I'm doing in that moment to be able to quickly communicate with her like that. Um, another thing is to be perfectly honest, you know, when you're whatever age your kids are, whatever is going on with your life, I think it's important to recognize the season you're in. And the season you're in does not necessarily dictate the future of your business or what is going to be happening next year. Um, and the beauty, of a flexible law firm is that it can flex to the changing needs of your life. Um, And that's something, again, this was not a grand scheme that I came up with when I when I went on maternity leave. It's something that I've learned over time that You know, the way my daughter needed me as a baby was different than when she started um, going to a mommy's morning out um, some hours per week. And then that changed when she was in preschool three days a week. So um, this year I had another baby, my son, who just turned one in January. And originally I thought that when he turned three months old, I would get a part time nanny to come over to the house um, and be with him while I worked for my home office. But then that, that three month mark came and I just was completely unmotivated to get a nanny. I just, I didn't want a nanny and it was, you know, kind of getting back to designing your life. And I felt like I'm supposed to get a nanny, you know, like now I'm a business owner. And even if it's part-time, I at least need a part-time nanny. That's what I see all these other women doing who maybe they're lawyers, but maybe they're just another kind of service provider with a, a six figure business. Um, and And I just, it just didn't feel right. And so then he turned four months, five months, the months went by. Um, I still don't have a nanny. And so it's still um, William and I, five days a week while my husband's at work and my daughter um that helps a tremendous amount because she's four going on 16 and she's a chatty Kathy so she needs to go to school for sure um and William so far I mean w- when that that season will change he's just barely starting to work um uh, to work sorry walk I will look forward you better, to the day you that they're early in your business for- <laughs> don't you Yeah, we're putting them to work as soon as they learn how to read, for sure. Um, So he's just just starting to learn how to walk and he sleeps a lot. He'll take a three and a half hour nap from like, usually from like 1030 30 until almost two, he's asleep. So it's fine. Right, right now William's
0: lifestyle. That's the lifestyle. Everybody. Yes.
1: He, yes. Um, I think
0: a couple of things. One is, um, I want to make sure we go back and tell people what Voxer is. Cause I know what it is. You know what it is. We need to tell people, oh. but the other thing is, um, you were saying, um, Oh gosh, it slipped up. You tell me what Voxer is while I try to remember what it is, the second oh, Boxer sure. Was. Yeah.
1: So Voxer <laughs> is a walkie talkie app. Um, you can download it on your phone. And basically it's just, a, you can hold down a button and send a, a voice message, a voice memo to someone. Um, and they can hear it in live time. So instead of you know leaving a voice message like you would on an answering machine, um, and then they listen to it when they're done, they could, if they were also on their app, Um, listen to it while you're speaking, Um, or they can listen to it later, and then you can also text them. So it's just, you can do similar things depending on what type of phone service you have in your regular text messages. Um, It's just nice to have the conversations really organized, and at least on my iPhone, those voice memos will disappear unless you choose to keep it, and um, these voice or memo, Boxer voice memos just live there. So it's a really nice tool.
0: Yeah, I had a, I had somebody, a brand who helped me do some branding a few years ago. And she used Boxer and we use that as our, our tool of communication. And I am not a listen to voice recording kind of person. I am a, a texter. And so I, I would text, but she would leave voice messages for me. Um, what was so cool about it is is real-time kind of stuff, you know, and we didn't have to, you know, we weren't on the same team, so we didn't have Slack or whatever. We had two different businesses, but it was a way for us to communicate. And, and it does give you that immediacy, you know, um, which is so helpful when you're trying to work on a project together to, to get it where you want it to go. The second part of what I was going to say is, I think you hit on something that's so critical that I want to stay with for a minute. and that is you really were very clear on what you wanted. And I think so many times what gets us derailed, whatever it is we're trying to create, is when we start comparing ourselves to others. They're doing this. I need to do this. Um, I mean, I don't know how many times people have said to me, should I have a podcast? Because I have a podcast They say, should I have a podcast? Well, it depends. It's my lawyer answer. It depends, right? We don't have to do things just because other people are doing them. We're not missing out. Our ship is not going to, we're not going to miss our ship when it comes in. When we're there, the ship's going to, you feel like the ship will be there for us. And there's many different ways that we can get where we want to go. So being very clear on what it is that you want, for you in your case, you were thinking, well, you know, I like I have an Annie, And then you're like, no, that's not really what I want. And being honest with yourself about that and making that decision, you didn't lack anything as a result of that, did you? I mean, you you you're living a life. No, it's actually
1: you you know. Yeah, it's the thing that I'm most proud of this year. You know, I didn't. I I, it happened all accidentally, really. Well, intentionally, but um, I just you know never pulled the gun. And it was really when he was approaching a year mark that I reflect reflected back. I haven't done this because I don't want to. And, you know, just kind of owning that decision. um, Yeah. was, was the thing that I was most proud of my business, despite that um, grew, not, tremendously but it was my best year in business as I believe you know every year of business should be better than the previous and it was um despite you know being but despite giving birth at the end of last January having a newborn and having him home here the whole time my husband does um he gets home he goes to work very early so he'll get home at around four thirty. so that helps and then um I typically work on Saturday mornings to early Saturday afternoon. And again, in the especially when you're setting out to create a freedom lifestyle business, um, there can be this pressure like, oh, I'm not going to work weekends because I'm supposed to not even work Fridays, but I take Tuesday and Thursday off, you know, and my Monday, Wednesday, Friday for me is really a four and a half hour work work day. So I do work Saturday mornings, but because I love the business I've built, to me, that is like, okay, I'm leaving and I'm going to a coffee shop to get some work done. See you all later. And I enjoy that. I enjoy those
0: Saturdays. Um, Yeah. I think you, and you use an interesting term I want to talk about. I... Often ask my clients when we start working together, do you want to create a a business that is a million dollar, multi million dollar business that you have a team and and it's running itself and you have freedom that comes over time as you build that up and more and more people, or do you want a lifestyle business where you have flexibility now, money now, but there may be limits on how much money you can bring in. If, if you, there's only so much we can do, right. Uh, Right. But that may be okay. If you're, if you're living a life you love and you're making sufficient income and you're getting to go to Costco on Tuesday, (laughs) you know, when nobody else is there. Right. That's the thing that I remember when I first, um, married my husband, he was an entrepreneur. And so he really inspired me to live this kind of life. And um, he used to just be out sort of running errands during the middle of a work day when I was at work. And I was like, What you know what is the life at Costco. (laughs) And And I remember wanting to like go run errands with him. And then I ran errands with him a couple of times. I'm like, okay, well that was great. I'm done. I'm like I was thrilling. I'm done with that now. (laughs) And so you go run the errands with him. You do have those
1: moments. And you probably had, I mean, you just described that moment. I think everyone who is an employee working full time, you know, outside of the home, and they have a random day off for whatever reason. And, you know, and then they find themselves, you know, grocery shopping at 1 p.m. or like getting a break at a coffee shop. And I don't know if it's just me. I feel like everyone probably has those thoughts of what if this was my life all the time? Like, what if I lived in this world with these people that do errands at 1 p.m. during the week?
0: We don't want everybody to catch on to our secret, but I think a lot more and more people have. And of course, the pandemic has changed with so many people working from home now, and also so many things, delivery services that have been available to us. So, our whole way of thinking about how we can move through the world has changed from, you know, even just five years ago, right? What people right. were thinking were their options. Um, so, what kind, if you were to, um, share perhaps one of the biggest lessons you've learned as you've kind of gone through this journey and uh, figuring things out on your own. What what would you say? What would you say to somebody else who kind of wants to follow a similar path? They're thinking about starting their family. They want to ha- still keep their law firm business, but do it in a way that blends well with that other priority. What what would you get? What advice yeah. would you give them?
1: I think twofold. First, um, that there doesn't need to be such a finality to the decisions that you make. Um, you were mentioning, you know, do you want to build a freedom lifestyle kind of law firm, or do you want to really scale a business and build a seven figure business you in your lifetime? You don't need to choose between those. If right Right. now in the season of life you're in, it fits your desires and your family to build that freedom lifestyle business, you will be perfectly situated to pivot and grow that biz- that seven figure business when you're ready, when it fits your life and your desires. Um, and so I, I think the other, another key is getting quiet, if you will, going, you know, getting um, out of the noise in your life um, wherever that is for you, by a lake, in the mountains, uh, in your car or wherever, and trying to just as much as you can, imagine a completely blank white piece of paper that you can design this future of your own on. Because we're so inundated with the shoulds and the musts, and this is what it looks like to be a lawyer, um, that there's so much work involved before you even start dreaming, you have to start scrubbing that away, like get out the Mr. Clean eraser and start scrubbing away all of the, um, you know, these preconceived notions of what it means, what it must mean to be a lawyer and what your career has to look like. Um, and the work of, you know, clearing that out. So you have a blank slate that you can really start imagining. If I could make up my own rules, and I was doing this just the way that I wanted to, um, maybe in the short term, but also, you know, looking into the long term, what would that look like for me? Um, And each step of the way, both in the planning process of that early dreaming stage, but also throughout your business journey, um, questioning your assumptions, because one thing I've really learned is um, you need to continually revisit that vision um, because business changes, the tools um, that we use change, the methods of marketing that work change. Yeah, yeah absolutely.
0: Yeah, we sure. change. Yeah, we
1: change not just your family's demands, like not just the kids, the partner, whatever, but what you want will change. You might see someone doing something that you're so inspired by and you feel Never like you put you yourself.
0: Before.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you haven't um you haven't put yourself, you you just keep yourself in a box. You don't have to stay in that box. Or you may have started out with an idea that you thought was going to be great, and it's just a reckoning of, you know realizing that it doesn't fit anymore. So as a perfect example of that, um, it was in the beginning or the end of 2019. So yeah, end of 2019, I started, uh, And so I didn't want to to bore them to death. So I would interject other fun business topics. Um, And I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed making the podcast. I enjoyed having podcast guests, but um, it was probably right after the, yeah, it was right after the lockdown began and I was pregnant and I was having like severe morning sickness. I already had the other things that I was juggling And I just had to, you know, make a decision that this isn't the right time to do this. It's not the right time to do this. And honestly, I don't even know if it was the most effective marketing strategy for me at that time. It was much more, um, you know, it was much more strategic to go on the podcast of business coaches or someone else who already had an audience um, rather than building this audience and, again, it just wasn't aligned with what I needed in my life at that time. So um, also, you know, recognizing the things that aren't working and being open to new ideas um, and reinventing yourself and pivoting.
0: You, You make such a great point. It, it really is. This goes back to what you want and sometimes, and you're, you can try something too and it's okay. You can try something and then decide, I need to hold off on this right now, or I need to change it. Uh, And, and that is the beauty of owning your own business is you get to make the decisions and it's okay to try things and make a decision that it's not for you, or you try something and it doesn't work the way you think it's going to, to pick something else. That's, that's the beauty of this kind of um, business. So I love that you shared that. You make such a great point with that. Um, you have an event coming up in March for those uh, women uh, women who uh, women attorneys who uh, may be considering starting their own business, maybe they've been working for somebody else for a while and they kind of got this little twinkle in their eye or dream in the back of their mind. Uh, tell us about that event and what you're going to be doing.
1: Yes. So that event is a three-day free training. It's called Lawyer on Your Own Terms, and it's happening from March 15th through 17th. So it's going to take place. It's going to be live streamed into our Facebook group at 7 p.m. Central. That's um, 8 p.m. Eastern. And it's really getting back to clearing, clearing the slate creating that white canvas for you to dream on. So taking out our, our, uh, Mr. Mr. Clean erasers and really wiping away the notions of what your legal career has to look like, um, and exercises to begin dreaming of what would it look like for you? Not for me, not for, you know, anybody else, but what would it yeah. look like for you if your legal career fit around the other desires of your life and kind of, um, The foundation of this is when you're thinking about your work schedule instead of, you know, here's when I have to work um, and then fit your life around that. No, we have a clear work week here. And the first things that you schedule in are those personal non-negotiables, the most important things to you in your life. Those non-negotiables, they go on the schedule first. And now how do we build a practice that? You know, that utilizes your skills and your talents and you're passionate about and creates a thriving income for your family that is built around those priorities, because that's the foundation of it. Um, so it'll be an hour training that's streamed and then um, attendees are invited to hop on a Zoom call for free private coaching group. And that's the part that I love the most um, is meeting people, hearing about their stories and then kind of beehiving at the end of each day, um, what that could look like for each person, because it's not just the benefit of chatting this out with me, but all the other women who are in this place of dreaming.
0: Right, right. So you will give us a link for that. We're going to share that in the show notes. So people want to check that out. They can, there'll also be a link to your, uh, website and your other social media. We have those links for you. So let's go in the show notes as well. And, um, anything else that you want to share today before we wrap up? Cause I know we need to end in a minute. Uh, any, any last thoughts you want to leave people with?
1: Yeah, you know, I, this is a little bit cliched, but, um, you know, sometimes you're going to be scared when you start a new thing. And it's really exercising those muscles, um, you know, starting with a baby step after baby step. And the more you do it, the more you're going to exercise that muscle, and you are going to be comfortable with it. And you're going to be comfortable getting into a space where you are really walking down your own path when everyone else is walking the other way.
0: Right. I love that advice. I think that is uh, the thing about cliches is they often, uh, they're based in truth, which is why they're so popular and we love them so much. So, but I appreciate you sharing that. You're absolutely on point. Kaylee, thanks so much for being here. I've really enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you so much for having me. You and I probably will have many more conversations over over time. And I really appreciate you sharing because I know a lot of people in our audience are really going to love um, what you've shared with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. If you have, we invite you to leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform. The more five-star reviews we have, the more women law firm owners will be able to positively impact. Your thoughts and opinions are so important to us. If you are a woman law firm owner who wants to scale your law firm to a million dollars or more in gross annual revenue and do it in a way that's sustainable and feels good to you then we invite you to join us in the Wealthy Woman Lawyer League. The league is a community of highly intelligent, goal-oriented and driven women law firm owners who are excited to support one another on their journeys to becoming wealthy women lawyers. We'll be sharing so much in the league in the coming year, including the exclusive million dollar law firm framework that until now, I've only shared with my private one-to-one clients. For more information and to join us, Go now to www.wealthywomanlawyer.com slash lead. That's www.wealthywomanlawyer.com slash lead. Lead is spelled L-E-A-G-U-E. We look forward to seeing you soon in the league.